Uh, I'll be reading our scripture passage this morning. It's from Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. If you can follow along either through um, on the screen or um, on your Bible. But let me, read, let me read this passage this morning. <clears throat> now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took all of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked and they and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard of the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And if you can read with me this. The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. All right. If, um, if you can, oh, Pastor Alf, you can come and deliver the word. Good morning. Wow, this works. I, this is good. I, uh, what a delight to be with you. And uh, uh, Paul is a good friend of mine. And um, it, is, it is special to watch uh, their family grow. I think they should have five or six more children if it looks like the first ones, don't you? Don't, no? That's one. No. But there's something very precious here as the story of his family is unfolding and the story of the church family is unfolding and the story of your family is unfolding. These will be the good times that you'll look back on. And God bless you and be kind to each other. Um, these are times that um, some of your most precious memories will come from. And your children, as all of you parent them together and encourage them and look for their little eyes and, and bless them, um, these will be among their most fond memories as well. Um, it, it's a rare moment. My wife is with me this morning. And... Uh, I'm usually around the country somewhere, and she can't, I, I don't have an airplane yet, and so um, uh, she, um, she's here. We live here in Fairfax, and Deb um, is head of the art department at Trinity Christian School in Fairfax. Some of you have heard about that school, and she's a professional potter, 
And um, this is something you may find interesting. Uh, my mother was a potter, and so I always kind of grew up having clay dust on me somewhere, you know? I, I would go to school and have clay dust on me, and it just became normal. And now, you know, when I, when I go here, if I don't have clay dust on me, I, something's wrong. And so uh, we have a pottery studio in our house and just love the things that she creates every day. And right next to Deb is one of my dear friends, Diane, uh, that um, I didn't know um, was living right, right in your area and just so good um, to see her this morning. So um, where do we start this morning? And how do you put me in some category? Maybe I can quickly tell you about four laboratories that I work in before we jump into this text. The first laboratory um, maybe comes from a book I wrote called Church in a Blues Bar. Um, that's a good title, right? Right? Um, so about six years ago, we built a big building, and um, we opened the doors, and the church filled up with church people from all the struggling churches around us. And I'm in my final trimester of ministry, and I just sort of said, I'm done. I'm done. I, I want something a little different. I wanted to be around as many non-church people as I can because it seems that the Western church is now in this life cycle that we keep recollecting the same 15% over and over again. And breaking out of that gravitational pull might be the contest of our day. And so I went in a blues bar to think about it. And I never left. And I fell in love with the people. And they are my parish. And in this little blues bar we have... Uh, and, and Deb comes there. We have a little service in there. But about 500 people call me Pastor Al in this little bar. And they make me cry. And I've fallen in love with them. And they are everything. They are everything that you can imagine that's going on in the world. And the single biggest um, contact with them is listening to them. And I have been on a journey of listening to what is in the heart of man and what are the questions that they carry? And I often say to people, um, they do all the work. They do all the work with their questions and faith. When I began to see the bar as my parish, and a parish is a space, I am yours and you are mine, sort of like when St. Patrick went to Southern Ireland and he just showed up and he said, I'm yours and you're mine, let's figure this out. And in this space that I'm in, I'm beginning to learn that. I am yours and you are mine. Let's figure this out. And I saw a lady with tattoos on. And I didn't care that I didn't care about tattoos, right? I don't have any tattoos. Um, Bible says don't put a tattoo on you, right? And so I asked her, because she was in my parish, does your tattoo have a story? And she poured out all the secrets of her soul. And I said, how did I miss this? I'm, at that point, I was 55 years old. How did I miss this? How did I miss that in our, this time, in this life space, the inside is writing on the outside, telling its secrets and stories on the live canvas of the skin in permanent ink? And it began a journey for me, and I did a 1,000 tattoo interviews around the country. 
And uh, the book called Tattoos, Telling the Secrets of the Soul. I believe that the image of God has gotten so desperate to talk in this life space that it's writing on its wrapper, and I completely missed it. And tattoos really aren't about tattoos. They're the confessions of the soul. And these are two laboratories, and I keep trying to move on from tattoos, right? And um, I get invited to like 20 tattoo conventions a year to talk about that, and I'm like, what is this crazy journey that is happening? And um, I go to these tattoo conventions, and we put up a booth, and people come and tell the stories that are underneath their tattoos, and they often make a discovery of what's underneath of them right in front of both of us. Could it be that the image of God has gotten so desperate it's writing on its wrapper, and Al Dayhoff completely missed it? There's another laboratory that I work in is I coach ministers in a residency program, and the niche that I work on is um, how do we get in contact with the wild? How, do we, how does the inside connect with the outside? And the metric that I work in with them <coughs> is shifting from listening to reply to listening to hear. <coughs> Could it be that those outside the walls of the church are telling us things, but we, we don't hear them? And when we hear them, there is a faith spark that happens and begins in a journey. And I, in coaching ministers around the country right now, mainly in our tribe of the Presbyterians, and I do uh, conferences, and we're about ready to come out with a book called uh, The Genius in Your Wound, Have You Discovered Yours? And that has been quite a journey as well, and I've got a book table out here that can tell you more about this. These are my laboratories and would enjoy telling you more about them. If we could hear God's voice today, what would it sound like? Would it sound like George Burns? Would it, would it sound like Morgan Freeman? I know, it would sound like Charlton Heston's. I am absolutely sure, right? If, if we could hear his voice, is it the same voice that those that are in faith hear as well as those that are outside of faith? We have a special channel. We're dialed in, right? But in the midst of all of that, Here's the question that I would like to propose to you and ponder with you <clears throat> and maybe send in your recreational thinking this next week is, is there a mother of all questions? Is there one question that everybody wrestles with and struggles with and in repose ponders and even lurks in the subconscious and in our dreams? You know, the scriptures are full of God's voice. Uh, the Ten Commandments with Moses, you know, I can see him coming home to his kids. You know, I talked to God today, and I always wanted that power but never got it. There was God with Abraham. When Abraham, if you remember in the Old Testament, God was testing his devotion, which seems cruel and unthinkable 
until you see that's the metric of the scriptures. And he's sacrificing his son Isaac, and God calls out, wait, I've provided something for you. And oftentimes that wait is a critical moment in our own lives. And then there was when Jesus baptized and the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then there's creation. Think with me for a minute. It's the mind of God that conceives words, and when he says them, says them, they create. And he spoke, and he created the moon, and the stars, and the earth, and earthworms, right? And the power of words is unthinkable when you, when you think about how God uses them. They actually have a creative um, power to them. You know, as a parent or a supervisor or an inventor, you want your words to have power. And sometimes they do, but here is the genesis of understanding the power of words. You know, on the deck on the back of our house, we have this little pagoda thing. You know, you have a pagoda, right? And there are these hummingbirds that come in. And they're called black-chinned hummingbirds. And their wings flutter 80 times a second. I, don't, I really don't believe that, but it's in a figure eight, and that's what the books say. But God spoke them into existence. And by the way, he spoke 356 different types of hummingbirds into existence. This is the power behind God's words. So in my parish, and if you think I'm very protective and love my parish that I'm in, you're right. Um, my parish will often say, I believe in the Big Bang Theory, Pastor Al. I go, okay, I do too. And I, and I have this comment, and it's not snarky. God spoke, bang, and there it was. You know, we're close, we're close. And the power of words that creates something. And um, there's the voice of God all throughout creation. Have you ever, moms, do you remember the first words of your child or the first times, you know, the, you heard a word and all that noise? And, um, and the power of words is that you remember them. And the scripture says creation uses words. The rocks cry out. The animals cry out. The stars speak. Words matter because they have a creative force. And in Genesis 3, we see the voice of God. But the context here is where a, an accident that really wasn't an accident took place where the communion with God that was so good and so great, then all of creation lives in post-traumatic stress from the moment when the curse was uh, placed upon all of humanity. And the text in Genesis 3, 1 to 10, tells one of the most interesting stories of how the God thinks and what he says and what he believes. And maybe we can find the mother of all questions. You know, 
On April 4th, 1973, something just unbelievable happened. It was, it was my 9-11. You know, um, I was raised by a World War II dad, and his 9-11 was Pearl Harbor, right? A few of you maybe have had both of those Pearl Harbors, but this was the Pearl Harbor of my day. And it was when the World Trade Center um, fell down, these twin towers, and I still process it. Is that possible? Did it really happen? Do you know that they were known as the tallest buildings in the world at that time? I mean, what is it? Uh, Dubai is building a, a two-mile tall building now. Uh, unbelievable. And they're known as the tallest buildings in the world. And if they were built today, you know what they would cost? $2.5 trillion. And um, they were called the huts of humanity. <clears throat> they were the center of where things got done in the world. And the sense of pride and workmanship was like no other event, maybe other than the pyramids leading up to that time. And do you know it was first proposed in 1943 about these towers? And then something unthinkable happened. Evil lurked. And it lurked with words. And it, they flew two planes into the Twin Towers. And now nearly 20 years later, our children are learning about it in history books. And evil both intentionally and unintentionally took advantage of a weakness of the skeleton of the buildings that was susceptible, uh, susceptible to the high burning temperature of airplane fuel. And it melted it and it fell down. And in the same way, there were 3,000 deaths that happened in the same catastrophic way in Genesis 3, it talks about the catastrophe where the evil one spoke the power of words and asks the mother of all deceptions, did God really say that? Words have power. So, Let's hunt for God's voice in the passage that our reader read this morning, shall we? And the backdrop of Genesis 1 to 3 is this, is that paradise was in motion. Do you know why we keep going to Disney World and we keep going on vacation and we want to be at the beach and we want to go to beautiful gardens and we want to walk in parks? There's, a, there's an old world memory in of us of the old country. There's something deep inside of us that wants to get back to the garden. There's something hidden in the souls and the memory of man. That's something that was good that is described in Genesis 1. We want to get back there. And because the creation happened and it continues to create within us. And you know, when you look at all the science fiction movies and all the inventions and the craziness that happens on the screen, these were the things that happened in Genesis 1, where physics was defied and creation happened out of words. It's a paradise that we try to get back to, and God gave a mandate to take dominion over creation, which is a wonderful mandate, and you do with your jobs 
and with your gardens and your homes and your creation and your pottery and whatever you do is you are living out this mandate. But in the midst of all this goodness, evil words were lurking close by. And I think an irresistible taunt came to Adam and Eve and each generation and each soul and each person, by the way, I think lives and like King Arthur's knights that have to find the Holy Grail, every soul has to fight with what is the mother of all temptations that you have to wrestle with in your life and find the mother of all life questions to overcome it. And the core of the mother of all deceptions was a taunt that you could be like God. Does this lurk in my soul? Oh, it does. It does. You know, I was a second born or a middle child. You know what a middle child is? A middle child is this. I am right and you are not. Have you noticed? You know, the first child is, okay, I'll do that. The middle child is, I am right and you are not. And here is the mother of all taunts, even in the family. The Egyptians bought into this taunt that you could be godlike. The Romans bought into this taunt that you could be godlike. The Aztecs bought into this and their civilizations fell. Hitler bought into it until he was no bore. The Marlboro Man bought into it. And Adam and Eve bought into it that they could be God, godlike. And lurking in the mother of all taunts was the supposition that you could be godlike. And the unthinkable happened that man ran from God. The unthinkable. It's like a mother that nurses her child, and the first thing the child does is to run in fear and fright. It's a cognitive dissonance. It doesn't make sense. And can you imagine that, that something that went from so safe to something so unsafe, they saw their nakedness, which was wonderful, and now it's shameful, and the curse was applied upon creation like an overloaded truck that you see driving on Route 7, and you wonder, it, the steering can't keep it on between the lines because it has too much weight on it. And so does creation, and so does the human heart. And then the character of God is revealed. It's the moment. And it's in the pain and the suffering that you know who you are, right? It's in the crucible of what hurts that you find what's worth living for. It's in loss that you find what makes you happy and what brings joy. And the text says that they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. Being the middle child that I was, I remember in the basement of my parents' house, I would loudly play the lyrics of Kiss. Does anybody remember that band? Please say you do. Please, right? Okay, thank you. I, saw, I heard an amen, okay? And I would play it Loud because I was in the basement, right? Because I could, because I was a middle child. 
and, um, and the rest of them weren't. There were the babies, there was the firstborn, and then I was right, okay? But I remember distinctly that when I played Kiss Loud, I heard the footprints of my World War II father walking across the wooden floor. And I'm thinking, he's coming. He doesn't get this music. I have 3.5 seconds before the door opens and he shouts, turn it off. And they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. And what is interesting about this scene when you look at it, God gave man the ability to hear and see and sense and experience the, the, the presence of God. And all the systems of the senses were, were gifts of God to be used and experience all of this. And even as creation fell, even as the twin towers crumbled because of the vulnerability of the skeleton, even as the unthinkable happened, the image of God in man stayed intact as he ran and hid from his creator. Have you ever seen a two-year-old hide? Right? Right? Um, our son, who's now 27 and a uh, mechanical engineer in Atlanta, um, he, he uh, when he was two, he was a naked running savage, okay? When my daughter um, slept when she was born. But when I would walk in, it was about this stage, I was about Paul's age, and I would walk home, and he always wanted to play hide and seek. As soon as I came in his, the house, he would go hide, and he would run. He would run, and and I could not find him, right? Because he would run and hide behind a table leg. <laughs> and I'd look at him and I'd go, that's not hiding. You know, and I'd say to Deb, could, like, could we get a tutor? Like, you know, if he thinks that's hiding, you know, will he ever pass SAT? Will he ever move out of the house? Will he ever be able to support himself if he thinks that's hiding? And the whole growing up, this is what my wife said to my children, or said to me. Aren't they the cutest thing you've ever seen in your whole life? I'd say, it's not hiding. <laughs> you know, if he thinks that's hiding, um, you know, we're going to be broke the rest of our life. And Adam hid, right? And Adam hid. And they ran and hid. And God did this. Gosh, where are they? You know, where did they? I, you know, they were just here. I'm not going to be able to find them. They were hiding behind a table leg. And, and in one of the most fragile moments in Scripture, God guards them and does not even out them. He just says this question, which might be the mother of all questions that are hid, that are, that are spoken. And today we tend to have our fig leaves and we tend to have our hiding moments where we hide in our sex successes and we hide in an, in an addiction or we hide in prison or we hide in pride or we hide in our theology or we hide in our knowledge or we hide in our mother of all temptations because it's ours and it owns us. 
But what is this mother of all questions that God asks? Is it secretly asked in, the, in our conscious and subconscious? It was asked of the church as it was in 40 years in the wilderness. It was asked of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was asked of Paul on the Damascus Road when he came to faith. It was asked by the thief on the cross from Jesus. And in Mary's heart when she found out she was pregnant uh, with no father, she asked herself, The mother of all questions, what is this? So each year, um, the residents that study with me, we try to do a mission trip together. Um, and this year, I took 10 ministers to the Sturgis Bike Festival. Have you ever heard of this? Does, does anybody know about this? Thank you. There's two of you. Okay. Um, this is the largest motorcycle festival in the year. 600,000 bikers come. And we set up a booth right in the middle, and I brought 10 PCA ministers with me. What could go wrong, right? Right? Um, this is a great idea. And we had a 16-foot booth on Main Street in Sturgis, and this human carnival was, was spiraling around us. And all the ministers looked at me, and they're like, it's okay, Al knows what he's doing. I didn't, okay? And they looked at me, and I was like, eh, we got this. It's no, and, you know, things would come at us. But we put a big sign on our booth, and it says, does your tattoo have a story? We found that in a Sturgis bike festival, that was the mother of all questions. And I want to just tell you about one man that came, and I saw him coming, and he was a giant with tattoos. And I'm thinking, I'm glad I'm on this side of the table because I don't want to mess with him. And he looked me in the eye before he got this booth, and he gave me a finger signal, and it wasn't this. <laughs> and he gave it to me all 20 feet of the booth, all the way down. And Pastor Paul, he looked me in the eye to make sure I saw it. And I went, uh, look at that, you know. The next day, he walks by my booth, and he does this. this. This was a monster. If you want to see his picture, I'll show you. He's like 6'5", maybe 300 pounds, head-to-toe tattoos. And, um, and the next day, he walks by, and he made sure I was looking at him. I'm not sure why he picked me. I must have looked like the most vulnerable of the 10 or 11 of us. And he just did this all the way down the booth. And the next day he walked by and he did this. And the next day he walked by and he did this. And, um, and in about, we were there for 11 days, right? We did 300 tattoo interviews with release forms. <sighs> um, he walks up and he puts both fists down right in front of me. And I'm not going to tell you what he said. But he said... What the heck do you want from me? That's the Greek translation. What the heck do you want from me? And he put his fist down. I'm thinking, he's going to kill me. And I said, your name. And he said, Billy. And I said, Al. And he had a big ink blot on his hand. And he said, this is my 13-year-old daughter that was killed in a car wreck. He said, this is my 19-year-old daughter that was killed in a car wreck. Are you darn happy now? 
And I said, I'm so sorry, friend. And he started crying. And the mountain of tattoos was crying. And I'm thinking, what do I do now? Right? And so I walked out in front of the booth and I put my, <laughs> I put my arms around him and I brought him around and sat him down in the booth. And he cried for a good 30 or 40 minutes. His soul was asking the mother of all questions. And he shuddered and he shivered because the question that we are hunting was in his heart. <coughs> and what is this question? What is the question we ask when we sleep? What is the question the non-faith person asks when they walk through this world? What is the question that is asked when we get cancer? when we lose our job, when we get a divorce, or maybe even when we get a date, what is the question that we ask? And it's the voice of God that says, where are you? Where are you? And picture Adam hiding like the two-year-old behind the table leg and God walking towards him. You know, if I was God, I probably would have thunderbolted him, just saying, okay? Um, but God doesn't. God says, where are you? And he guards the dignity of the image of God in his creation. And so as you walk through this world, understand that in this passage, right in the beginning of creation, the image of God is given the ability to live in and answer the mother of all questions, which is, where are you? And oftentimes in our um, our well-intentionedness of truthing or debating or telling people about faith, they are actually asking this question deep inside their soul and need a safe space to process out loud with someone who does nothing but listen. Everyone is wrestling as they journey through this world with where am I? But does the Christian community have an ear for listening to hear what they are saying? And when the Christian get asked the question, where are you? From a God who, like St. Patrick in Southern Ireland, said, I am yours and you are mine. Let's get this done. The Christian is allowed to say, I am yours and I am in you. My dear friends, the mother of all questions, it's in you, it's around you, it's in the world. And as the image of God, even though hiding, is able to ponder that question, it's the instigation and the sparking of faith that is looking for a place where they can take that answer. And yes, the cross, and yes, the scriptures, and yes, the meta-narrative of the Bible is the answer to the where are you. But it is a simple journey to faith, to God himself and his son, who answers the question, where are you? You are in me, and I am in you. May God richly bless you, dear friends. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, um, what an interesting passage. What a powerful illustration. 
And as we hear your voice in our own hearts, where are you? Lord, as we take communion, would you let us respond with whatever faith we have? I am in you and you are in me. And Father, as we walk through this world and we hear the heartbeats and the whispers and the conscious thoughts of those all around us that are asking, where am I? Might we receive that question and listen in close on their hunt for faith? And we pray this in our Lord's name. Amen and amen. Godspeed.